the first thing that we have recorded that Adam said. Now, he said some things before this, but the first thing that we have recorded is what he said when uh, God brought the woman to him. And uh, in verse 23 of chapter 2, you don't need to turn to it, but I think that it ought to be punctuated with an exclamation point. I don't think he's... I don't think he said it this way. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I think there was, a, there was a, an excitement. I mean, it was like, wow. God is so good. This is, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So the point I'm making is, when God presented Eve to Adam in the garden, Adam received her as a gift of great value. When husbands, and I'm speaking here really of Christian husbands, do not treat their wives as a precious gift from God and a helpmate, a helper that's perfectly suited, made for them, they can cause their wives to search for ways to find significance and value in other places, and sometimes that ends up in a bad situation. So what I want to do tonight, then, is just very briefly look at God's standard for godly husbands. God's standard for godly husbands. And basically... You could put it like this. A godly husband is to lead, to love, and to sacrificially serve his wife. So if you forget everything else, just those three areas there. To lead, to love, and to sacrificially serve their wife. Now, as I go through this, you'll see that the bar is set really high. I'm looking at you, Brandon. <laughs> I'm not aiming this at you. I'm just, I'm just telling you. This is, this is God's standard. This is what he's put in the scriptures for us. So, first of all, just in kind of a general way, I want to give you Jesus' job description for those in authority in his kingdom. We're talking about a position of authority. That's, we're saying that the, the husband has a position of authority in the family. What's God's job description for those in authority? And I, this is especially, we're thinking here in the home, in the church, but tonight especially in the church. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. If you remember the context here, uh, James and John, two sons of Zebedee, had uh, come to Jesus, and they wanted a position of authority. They wanted to be seated in his kingdom. They didn't know what really they were asking, but in his kingdom, 
They wanted to be seated on his right and on his left. In other, in other words, they were thinking about positions of prominence, positions of authority. And uh, Jesus had some things to say to him on that, but, but he wanted to use this as a time of teaching them about what, how you should really view authority. And he, so we'll skip down. Let's see. We're going to start with verse uh, 42, Mark 10:42. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Now let me just stop right there and say, again, I want to to emphasize, if you go by the world's standards of authority, you don't get it right as far as God's concerned. If you try to take the world's ways of dealing with authority and having authority and put them over into the church or over into the home, you will not have godly authority. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're going to have to switch gears here because they're getting it all wrong out in the world. Verse 43, But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now this word service in here, where he's talking about uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, but to, uh, to be served, but to serve, that's the word we get, our, that's the we get our word deacon from that word serve right there that's in that section. So that's kind of good to keep in mind. He's talking about serving, learning to serve. If you, if you want to know what authority is about in the kingdom, it's about learning to serve others. That's what it's about. Uh, looking out for and meeting the needs of someone else. That's the, that's the essence of service, and Jesus says this is what authority is all about in the kingdom. Um, through Jesus' many acts of service, including washing the disciples' feet and ultimately dying on the cross, Jesus demonstrates, he demonstrated that humility and sacrifice almost always go with true service. They almost always go with true authority in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> we, and because of that, we gain insight into the husband's role in marriage. He is to be a servant to his wife. He is to be sensitive to her needs. He is to attend to her needs before his own. So this obviously leaves no room for exerting his authority for his own pleasure or convenience. So what I'm saying here, if we're talking about leadership and authority in the home, godly leadership is servant leadership. Godly leadership is servant leadership. That's point number one. Next section I'd like to 
look at briefly is 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 7. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a great deal. Uh, in this verse. Peter is exhorting and really he's commanding husbands to consider carefully their wife's needs and desires. You're supposed to live with them in an understanding way. You have to think about this thing, you see. You have to think about how to best live with your wife. And to do it in an understanding way. You need to be sensitive to her concerns and problems. You need to be watching out for those things, watching out for problems that are coming up in the relationship before they get to be major problems. Uh, you're to treat your wife, Peter says, as one of great value, honor, you see. Um, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. We're to esteem our wives in the highest degree, to consider them as being very precious, to recognize their dignity. We need to be realistic about their capacities and limitations. That's, that's implied here. Uh, if you're going to live with her in an understanding way, you have to realize she's a weaker vessel. And I don't know all that that means. I mean, uh, obviously, in, in some way it has to do, some of it, with, with uh, even physical strength. But I think there's much more to it than that. Uh, I know it implies this, that we have to be on guard against misusing our authority as husbands and to treat our wives with great tenderness and sensitivity and respect. We're to always remember, as Peter says here, that they are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Just as much saved, if, if, if you're a Christian, that wife of yours is just as saved as you are and has just as much to look forward in eternity uh, as you do. So the equality that they share before Christ, they're fellow heirs of the gift of life. And this, that should, right there, should, again bring forth respect and honor. This is a sister in Christ. And 
Peter shows how serious this is when he ends it off by saying, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, if you don't do this, you're going to be sinning. If you don't treat your wife the way he's talking about here, you'll be sinning. Your prayers will be hindered. Uh, if you disregard these instructions, it's not just something that you're doing against her. It's, it's something against God. Well, as these two passages that we've looked at so far indicate, the husband's job is not all that easy. What we're saying here is that he has to exercise his God-given authority along carefully prescribed lines. Authority doesn't mean you just do whatever you want to do. See, God, the authority God's given you is, is, in, is in certain boundaries, in certain areas. It's to be exercised in certain ways. And if you don't do it that way, it's sinful. We're, we are responsible as husbands. We're responsible for, before God for the well-being of our wife especially her spiritual well-being. And we're going to have to give an account of this before God. To lead, to be a leader, to lead, means we go in front. We lead the way in things that are right and good. doesn't mean that we give orders from behind. I would say just along this line also that a wise husband will always value his wife's opinions and actively seek her counsel and insights. How do I know that's right? Why did God give the woman to the man in the first place as a helper? She needs to help you make decisions because you are not God. And you don't know everything. You need some help. You need some counsel. Look to, why wouldn't you look to the one that God specifically gave you as a helper? So you need to actively seek her counsel and insight. Well, lastly then, the passage that's the most well-known along this line, Ephesians chapter 5. Now remember what we're doing here is looking at God's standards, God's standard for godly husbands. Some of these thoughts that I'll share with you now are from a man named Ken Sandy. And uh, again, this is from the website that I've mentioned before, the Biblical Council on Manhood and Womanhood, and he had an article called Love and Respect in Marriage. And I thought some of these things were were worth sharing with you. So, in Ephesians, uh, actually, we'll start with verse 23, 
which starts talking about the husband. But before we even read that, I think we need to get the context uh, if we're going to understand this properly. And the context, clear, uh, of course, is the whole book of Ephesians, but specifically chapter 5, verse 1 and, and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us. Now, that's what we come to over here in the part that we normally think about in relationship to the husband, the, the fact that Christ gave himself for us. That's what the husband does for the wife. He gives himself for her. That's the context. Walking in love, being an imitator of God, who, who is love, we walk in love. And it says, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. That's the context, you see. Uh, living a life of love, being an imitator of God, and giving ourselves for the one that God has given to us. The wife I'm talking about. Now, Paul does much more than just reaffirm God's design for marriage in this passage, uh, saying that the husband is in a position of authority and the wife uh, is to be subject to him. He goes far beyond that because he explains, he, he points out the responsibilities that the husband has in regard to his wife. So let's, let's read this here. Uh, I know it's familiar and uh, maybe hearing it in a couple of days. I don't know if it'll be at the wedding or not, but um, let's read it anyway here. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's that phrase again. Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, the, that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought, to also, ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So... Like I say, I think this is probably the most famous passage related to this subject of husbands and wives. And really, I think there's two 
words that we just need to zero in on here. The one is, husbands, love your wife. Your wife. Just as Christ loved the church. That's the way we understand what this love is. And then the word gave. He gave himself up for her. So love and gave. Paul is reminding husbands to be on guard here, I think, against the natural, and also it's natural now since the fall. It's sinful. That inclination to abuse their authority and fail to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Um, uh, We looked at that, I think maybe the first time we talked about this, that these sinful inclinations came in at the time of the fall. The abuse of authority or then on the woman's part to try to usurp the authority. So those things are there. They're there in each one of us. If we're Christians, God is at work to deal with those sinful inclinations. First of all, then, love. The kind of love he's talking about here, this agape love, it's a giving love. It's an active type of love. And I don't think there would probably be any better way of trying to understand what Paul meant by this kind of love than to turn to what he said concerning love. So this kind of love that he's talking about here when he says, husbands, love your wife, here's what it is. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love that Paul's talking about here when he says, Husbands, love your wives. Let me just read what this man said that I mentioned here. He says, According to this passage, a loving husband should be patient and kind toward his wife. He should not envy her, boast, or be proud in comparison with her. He should not be rude, self-seeking, easily angered. He should not keep a record of her wrongs. He should never delight in anything bad happening to her, but rather should rejoice with her over good and true things. He should always protect her, always trust her, always hope for her and with her, always persevere in treating her right, even when she does not seem to deserve it, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. So I think this standard that God has set for us here, again, is 
it's beyond our reach apart from grace, apart from the help of God. That's the first thing, then, that's mentioned in this section, the first big thing. Love, loving our wives, just as Christ loved the church. But also, he says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Christian husband is to give himself up for the wife. That's what it says. That's what, it's, that's what he's telling you. To give that way means to surrender, to yield up. It's used three times to describe Jesus' act of surrendering his life for the sake of the church. Obviously, then, we're talking about something more than just some minor inconveniences or some adjustments in your life when you get married. It's much more than that. And this giving is more than the idea of giving things, you see. There's some husband thinks that think, well, if I give her these things, that's you know what I, that's what it's talking about. That is not what it's talking about. It says it gave it says he gave himself up for her, not things, his whole life. Christ held nothing back to save his church. Likewise, a husband should hold nothing back to meet his wife's needs. Now, admittedly, there's a difference between needs and wants or needs and desires, although those things are important too. But when we talk about needs, we're talking about things that are Legitimate should be legitimate concerns for the husband in relationship to his wife. Things that will help her serve God and serve others better. Things that will help her grow spiritually. Things that will promote her well-being and help her carry out her responsibilities. But... Uh, I'd say this also. We need to be careful about being too pragmatic uh, about all this. We need to leave place for doing things just because they would delight her. It may not be a need, but just it's because of delight. You see, God treats us that way, doesn't he? I mean... He gives us our needs and give us this day our daily bread. But you know what? Tonight when I go home, in the refrigerator, there's some tapioca pudding. <laughs> I don't need that, but I like it. And God and my way of my wife, I have tapioca pudding tonight. <laughs> I, what I'm saying is, and this is this kind of a reversal of roles, but give your wife some tapioca pudding. <laughs> well, um, 
have these things that are presented for us here, and at least we can say this, this leaves absolutely no room in our understanding of leadership and authority in the Christian home. It leaves absolutely no room for self-centered abuse. There's no, no place for that. All that the Christian husband does with regard to his wife is to be for her good, not for his own pleasure and convenience. Thus, I'm reading here from this man again, thus for the sake of meeting his wife's genuine needs, a husband should be willing to surrender whatever is necessary in his career, recreation, relaxation, spending, and all other areas of his life, whatever is necessary for her true good. And you know, the Bible doesn't indicate that if a, a, a wife is negligent in some of her responsibilities, that that gets you off the hook. She's going to fail. You're going to fail. There's going to be a need for a lot of forgiveness. But nevertheless, this is the standard that God has for us. To love as Christ loved the church and model, use the model that he gave us, that he gave himself up for the church. We're to, to give ourselves up for our wives. Well, I think I better bring this to a close. Our loyalty to our wives must exceed all other loyalties in this life. Apart from our loyalty to Christ, our loyalty to our wives must exceed, exceed all other loyalties in life, even that of our loyalty to our parents. That's implied there in verse 31. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh doesn't mean that you don't honor your father and mother anymore, but it means that you've entered into a new relationship that supersedes that in terms of loyalty. Well, in summary then, headship, leadership, authority in the family is anything but a license to tyranny. By comparing the husband's role to that of Christ, Paul has set the highest possible standard for men to follow. And he has clearly defined a husband's role in terms of sacrifice, service, leadership, and unconditional love. The model of the perfect husband is the Lord Jesus himself, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. Well, that is a very brief uh, presentation related to God's standard for a godly husband. Um, 
Brandon, all I can say is I commend you to God <laughs> and the word of his grace. Um, and that's, that's all we have. Uh, if God doesn't work this in us, it's not going to be there. But he, he will do that. See, again, uh, what I'm saying is his purposes in redemption are to purify and sanctify these, these roles and, and structures and, and authority framework that he set up. He's in the process of doing that. We can't use the world as our standard. We can't go by what we see around us. We pro- we've probably seen mostly wrong stuff. We have to go by God's standard, and if we look to him, uh, there can be significant reality to loving our wives as Christ loved the church and giving up our lives for them. Well, I don't, I don't think we'll try to go on into this sheet, but if you remember next time, if you still have it, to bring this, remember this sheet with all the little squares in it? I hope you have good eyesight because the print's pretty small. Maybe we can spend some time uh, talking about some of the things in there. Any questions about what we looked at tonight? Any thoughts? It doesn't have to be a question. I don't know about first and foremost, but I think we have to remember that. Yeah. I remember that because sometimes we'll put the fact that she's my wife in the flesh and change the dynamic. I've found it helpful to push that thought a little farther. She's my sister in Christ, which means she's a daughter of the king. I married a princess, and we don't want to insult the father-in-law. Well, that's true. I keep it very careful in how I treat his princess daughter. Well, that's true. I think the, the the thing that we were looking at more tonight is the fact that she's made in the image of God just as much as we are. That's that's the primary understanding that we should always have. That this this woman that God has given me is made in God's image, and uh, anything that uh, does damage or harm is an insult to God himself. God's given us the great privilege and responsibility of being reflectors of his image out into the world. Now, we do that individually, but we also do it when we're married as a couple in the way that we interact with one another. It reflects on the character of God. Well, let's pray.
Father, we pray that you would help us to more and more reflect your magnificent, beautiful, amazing, lovely character reflected in our lives as individuals and for those of us that are married in our marriage. And we acknowledge, Father, these things are far beyond us. And yet, we know your purposes are to conform us to the image of Christ. So we just look to you to graciously fulfill what you purpose to do uh, from eternity in our lives right now, these days, these few fleeting days that you've given us. Help us to see more clearly what you have for us and then walk in it by thy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.